Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, it's, uh, it's good that we're together today and, and good that we have a chance to, to gather together and to look into God's Word. If you've been with us over the last several weeks, then you know that, that we have been uh, embarking on a series through the book of Hebrews, and we've called this series Anchored because we've talked about how there is a danger in the lives of those who have been believers in Christ for some time. There's a danger that we experience, and that danger is that we might drift away from the rock of our salvation and that we have a need to actively anchor ourselves to Him, that we might grow and mature in our faith. And we've walked through over the last number of weeks a variety of passages uh, that have encouraged us and have challenged us, and this morning we're going to see another one of those. Uh, We're going to look at um, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through chapter 6, verse 10. Um, But before we we get to those verses, I want to just ask you guys some, some questions about your summer. I mean, this summer, the summer of 2012 for the Robinsons, is the off-summer of the family reunion. The Robinsons gather um, every other summer for a family reunion. We started this several years ago, and there are lots of us. Uh, typically, there's somewhere between you know, 90 and 120 Robinsons that get together every other summer um, just, just to hang out. And, and what we like to say, if there's, there's a 120 Robinsons in one location, there's an empty Walmart somewhere. Um, thank you, Jeff Foxworthy. But, you know, there, there is a, um, you know, it's, just, it's, it's fun to get together as family. And, and if you have a big family, um, think about the last time you got together with them, whether it was a family reunion or whether it was a Thanksgiving or a Christmas or maybe it was a wedding or it was a, it was a funeral. But there was some time recently if you are a part of a large family, that you've got together with them. And, and unless you um, are, you know, a part of a family that has an abnormally large dining room table, uh, you know, I, I'm talking, uh, you know, Bruce Wayne Manor from the Batman movies kind of table. I, I'm talking Biltmore Estate kind of, kind of ballroom. Unless you've got that in your, in your dining room, I'm guessing that not everybody in your family fits around one table. And if that's the case for you, as it is for us when the Robinsons get together, then there's some kind of um, hierarchy that determines where you get to sit. Uh, you start out sitting at a table kind of like this one, and hopefully, over time, you get to move up to sitting at a table that looks something like this one. That's the, the normal a progression in the Robinson family. Um, at the very least, we add more card tables. Um, because while this table is really cute for the four-year-olds and the three-year-olds in the family, um, it's a little awkward for me to get all the way down here and try to have a nice conversation um, and, and, and eat some dinner. It's way more comfortable. It's way more natural It's the way it's supposed to be that as you get older, you might sit at a table something like this. When you're younger, it's it's way more normal, it's way more natural as you sit at a table like this to maybe drink out of something like this. Maybe you have, you know, a little little milk, a little sippy cup. Um, When you get older, it's way more normal, it's way more natural to drink out of something like this. 
You know, if, if you and your family, um, as you have gotten older, are still sitting at that table drinking out of a sippy cup, I'm sorry. Um, next summer, we're having a reunion. You're welcome to come. We'll find, we'll find some bigger furniture for you uh, to sit at because there is something abnormal. There's something not right about a grown person sitting at this table. We can recognize that. We can see it. There's something abnormal. There's something awkward about a grown man drinking out of a you know, dump truck sippy cup. Um, we, we recognize that. We see that. And what's fascinating to me about Hebrews chapter 5 and 6 is that the author of the book of Hebrews writes to the Hebrew uh, believers, which were some Jewish background believers, we, we believe, living around Rome. And he writes to them and he says, look, though you've been believers for a while, as I come to interact with you, I expect you to spiritually be sitting at this table, when in reality, I find you sitting over here. And there's something awkward, there's something wrong, there's something, there, there's, there's something has been short-circuited in your Christian life if after a number of years of walking with God, if you're still sitting over here, because God created you to grow. In Christ, we've been recreated, not to stay here drinking milk, but to move over here eating solid food. And if our salvation has led to our stagnation, then something seriously is wrong. And the author of Hebrews challenges us in this way. And as people gathering here this morning, we need to look at this word because the the danger exists for us who have been believers for a while to be drinking milk, sitting at the kiddie table, when Christ has something deeper and better for us. What is that and what does it look like? We're going to see today, looking at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through chapter 6 and verse 10. If, if you got a Bible, open up to those verses. We're going to camp out there. Uh, it's, it's plenty, plenty, plenty for us to look at today. Um, these are some of the most written about verses in the entire New Testament, and we've got about 30 minutes to look at it together. So let's, uh, let's, let's launch into it. What we're going to see today is we're going to see two things, two things by looking at these, these verses that tell us something about God's desire for us to move from over there to over here. The first thing that we see is that we're called to move toward maturity, to move toward maturity. We see that in chapter 5, verse 11, through chapter 6, verse 3. Uh, What do those verses say? Let's read them. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 5, verse 11, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do 
if God permits. Now, in those verses, uh, we see a very clear call, a very clear call for us to move on to maturity, a call to move from this table to that table spiritually, a call to move up from drinking merely spiritual milk to eating spiritual steak. We're called to move up. We're, ta- we're called to grow, to grow up. And, and it was something that was expected. It was expected that the general progression of a believer's life would move from here to there. He says, we have much to say, but it's hard to explain because you've become dull of hearing. By this time, you should be teachers, and yet you still need to be taught. The idea was, it was expected that you would be growing up. It was expected that they would be maturing, and yet they weren't. Well, what is it that was the sign of these immature believers? What, what was it that prevented them? When, when he, what was he looking for that would have shown them to be seated over here and yet seated over here? Because that's what we need to know, right? We, we don't want to be immature. We don't want to look spiritually silly sitting at this table instead of that one. We, we want to grow up. We want to mature in our faith. So what does it look like for somebody to be immature in their faith? He mentions a couple of things that tell us what it looks like to be immature, at least according to the Spirit of God speaking through the author of the book of Hebrews. The first thing about somebody who is not mature is that they've become dull of hearing. Verse 11, since you have become dull of hearing. What did did it mean that they had become dull of hearing? I believe the idea behind this is that the Hebrew believers were, were not people that had a lack of information, but they were people that had no longer been touched and pierced by the information that they had taken in. They had become dull to it. Somebody would come up and, and speak to them the Word of God, and, and, and it would not impact them anymore. They would, they would read Scripture, or they would hear a challenge from someone, and, and they, would, they would not respond appropriately. They become dull to hearing what the Word of God had said. And, and this is something that is, is very much a real possibility for believers today. Again, if you have been a believer in Christ for a while, you are very much at risk of becoming dull of hearing of God's Word. Um, I, I know that because at this point in my life, I've, I've walked with God for 22 years, and, and I struggle with being dull of hearing. Because I struggle with it, I recognize the signs of it. And When I was reading this passage this week, it was just jumping off at me because there are things that, that I have done, there are things that I do that I don't like that this passage would indicate are true of those who are dull of hearing, who are sitting at this table when they should be sitting at that table. The idea of being dull of hearing would be you read God's Word and you think about how it applies to somebody else, but not yourself. You're dull of hearing. Wow, that is really challenging for my wife. That is really challenging for my business partner. I need to put that on a card and put it on the mirror, not so I can read it, but so that they can read it. Um, I need to send that out in an email. I need to send that out as a text. That'll preach. That is good stuff for somebody 
else. I, I don't struggle with that, but for somebody else. When you start thinking about how everybody else should apply a passage, and you don't get to the point where you're thinking about how you should apply it, it's very possible that you're sitting over here dull of hearing. You have, you have grown weary of ingesting God's Word and it's all about somebody else. It's not about yourself. We saw last week that what does God's Word do? It pierces us to the very core. It leaves us vulnerable. And if when we read God's Word, it doesn't leave us vulnerable, you know what's possible? It's possible that we become dull of hearing. We've shut down our personal application of the Word. I'll give you another example. It's, it's, it's the example that happens when you, you come to, to worship services or you come to a small group and and suddenly you become, you know, Dick Clark rating it on some kind of a scale. You know, hey, the, the music today was had a nice beat, but I couldn't dance to it. Um, you know, I give it a, I give it a four point five. I give it a seven point one, and and we leave critical of what we experienced instead of worshiping the Lord. Well, we hear a sermon and we think, boy, I think that that really could have been a, a lot better. You know, I, I think that uh, the pastor really should have been more interesting today. I, I think that all these things. And you know what? There are times whenever I've preached boring messages. And there are times when we could do worship better. But you know what? When we gather on a Sunday, it's not our job to evaluate that stuff primarily. You know what our job is primarily? To worship Him. When we sing... We're singing to him. When we look into his word, we're hearing from him. And when we ever get to a spot that we are gathering together merely to critique what is going on, and we leave, and that's our conversation on the way home, is we're critiquing the event. And we, we, we are not even really thinking about the Lord. We're thinking about that. Then, then you know what's happening? It's possible that we're moving into being dull of hearing. We're shutting down the personal side of our walk with God, and we're making it all about some kind of review, some kind of external. Now, now, now hear me. It, it is absolutely appropriate for us to be critical of things we hear, to, to be discerning about things we hear. It's, it's, it's fine for us to have stylistic preferences. I'm not saying that we have to get away from that. I'm, but what I'm saying is, when you gather at worship, you didn't come here for me. You didn't come here for Greg. I pray you came here for the Lord. You're worshiping Him. You need to hear from Him today. And insofar as, as you are engaging with him in song and in prayer and, and hearing from him in his word, then, then you're where you need to be. If, if you get away from that practice, it's possible that you become dull of hearing. I mean, I, I say this, if you're being convicted right now, then no, I am too. I, I, we need a big mirror on the back wall because I'm talking to myself too. Pastors are the absolute worst at this. Go to a conference with a bunch of pastors sometimes. You're here just... Just convicting, beautiful message and music, everything. We'll walk out. Man, that was a little loud. What'd you think about that? I thought the transition between point two and point three could have been a little stronger. And pastors are the worst at this stuff. We have an opportunity to worship the Lord, and we were, we're caught up in the convention of it all. We come to the services, and, and we're, we've got responsibility here, and we're, we're thinking of transition and getting in and out of this stuff, and it's a, it's a process, and there's all this stuff going on. And if we're not careful, we can become dull of hearing. We're putting out a product every week. And I read this passage, and I think, man, I don't want to be sitting over here. And the people that are sitting over here, according to Hebrews 5, are people who are 
dull of hearing. Everything they read, everything they do is about somebody else, about a system, a process, whatever. When in reality, we're to meet with the Lord. We're called to move toward maturity, to not be dull of hearing. Another sign of somebody that's immature is that they're not really applying anything. They're not really applying anything. Look at what it says in those, in those verses. He talks about in verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child of God. Unskilled at it. Didn't mean they didn't hear about it. I mean, they didn't know deep truth. It meant that they were unskilled at living it out. They, they, they were doing nothing with it. They might be able to give you a chapter and verse, and they know all the Bible stories, they know all the truth, but they, they are not living it out. They're unskilled at actually applying this word of righteousness that they were hearing. Verse 14, it's for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That's what maturity was. Maturity was living out the stuff they were hearing. It wasn't just hearing it. It wasn't just having the answer to all of the the Bible trivia. It was doing something with it. That's what maturity is. You move to this table. you, You drink from an adult cup when you, you don't just know the story, but you're, you're answering, what am I going to do in response to this story? You don't just hear about how God was faithful. You think about your trust in the Lord. You're, you're, you're walking in a skill of constant practice of applying what you hear. When, if you're not applying the things that you read, if you leave today, you have no idea what you're going to do. You, you read the Bible, you have no idea what, what it means. You're not ever thinking about what God wants to do. There's no interface between your Monday through Friday life and your, your Sunday life. When, when those things separate and, and disjoint, what happens is that we end up over here instead of over here, and it's not how much information we know, it's what are we doing with the information that we know. And, and this is why I, I think that there's a special challenge to us who have been believers for a while. You know, I, I'm in, in one year, I'm going to be 40. And uh, I was thinking about this this week. I was thinking about how at, at 40 years old, comparing 40-year-old Mark to 20-year-old Mark. Um, we, we had our 20-year high school reunion uh, this weekend. Last night we were there. And a bunch of people came up to me and said, well, you haven't changed a bit. To me, that was terribly depressing news. Um, I think it was supposed to be a compliment terribly depressing to me. Surely something has changed. You know, the little yearbook sentiment, stay sweet, don't ever change. Don't ever do write that because we all ought to be growing um, in our lives in, in, in different ways. But I think about 40-year-old Mark compared to 20-year-old Mark. And, you know, there's things that I, I know a lot more now. I have, you know, been educated. I've got life experience, um, all of that stuff. But, you know, there's areas in my life that I, I like 20-year-old Mark better than 40-year-old Mark. I shared my faith more when I was 20 than I do when I'm 40. I still got a year. Challenge. But I shared my faith with more people that didn't know the Lord. Now, not not program-type stuff, me standing up on Sunday and those kinds of things, but I mean just way of life, natural, those around me, more when I was 20 than I do when I'm 40. You know what happens as we get older? 
we start, we, we come up with fantastic reasons why this doesn't apply to us. You know, we, we think, you know, when I, when I was younger, I was all spitting vinegar, but, but now, you know, I, I kind of understand that that's not really the way the world works. And, you know, I, I really, I dreamed that the world could be changed and God could use me back then, but now I know that that's really not the way it works. And, you know, it's what, what am I and who am I going to do? And I just need to kind of manage my own little corner of the universe and whatever, you know. That, that's, that's what happens as you get older, and we call that maturity. And, you know, there's, there's a part of that transition that, that's appropriate. There's a part of growing up and, and understanding that the world's bigger than us and going through difficulty and weathering that and trusting God and all this stuff. But, but here's the thing. We should not be applying God's Word less by the knowledge that we have. You know, we, we get better over time at saying why we shouldn't do something. And yet, when we do that, you know what we do? We say, I want to go right back over here and I want to drink the milk and I want to sit in this chair because this is a lot easier, and we forget how silly it looks. This is why when college students, which I love the fact that we have college students at Wildwood, we ought to interact with them as much as we can, because there's a challenge that comes from that. Because you know what? They're saying, I can't wait for the world to be changed through us. And as a church, we shouldn't go, hey, come on back over here, and let's have some milk. It'll be okay. You'll figure it out. This is what happens to us. Why does this happen to us? God's word challenges us, and it comes to us, and it says, don't stay over here. Move over here. Continue to trust me, the Lord says. Now, now, now hear me. Please hear me on this. I am not talking to you. I'm talking to me. I, I, wish, I literally wish there was a giant mirror at the back because I need to be challenged by this path. And you need to be challenged by this because it's all too possible for us to think we're mature when in reality we're just drinking milk because we've become dull of hearing or we've become unskilled in the practice of righteousness. It says in chapter 6, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. That word, the elementary doctrine of Christ, a unique word in the New Testament, the idea behind it is it's the ABCs of Christ. And sometimes you read this and you think, wow, we're supposed to leave the elementary doctrine of Christ? We're supposed to go just do something else now? We're supposed to, you know, we, we've, we've got the gospel, so let's go get something else. That's not the idea at all. The idea is that the, the truth that we have learned are like ABCs. They're the elementary doctrines. They're the ABCs. They ought to help us be able to read and discern good from evil in life. They ought to help us to be able to discern God's will around us. They're the ABCs. We move past them, not because we forget them, but because we apply them. We don't just write them on the wall at meeting chart like a preschooler, but we, we put them together in words and sentences to make sense of our world. I mean, the things that he mentions there, it's, it's funny to me, these are the, the elementary things, but he talks about, you know, the, the foundation of repentance from dead works, of, from faith towards God, and obstruction is about washing, laying hands, resurrection from the dead, eternal judgment. We could spend an entire message on those things, but the idea was that those ideas, those things, are the ABCs. They're the building blocks. The, the, the basic truths that we have in our Christian faith, they're the building blocks that ought to allow us to be able to read God's will into life. We shouldn't just stay here, but we should move on to maturity. 
big time challenge in Hebrews 5. But that's not even the controversy. I, I don't know of any real commentators that would read chapter 5, 11, and following much different than we just walked through. The controversy comes in chapter 6, verses 4 and following. But I think it's directly connected to what we just saw. And, and that's the second thing I, I think we need to see today. And that is that maturity's only hope is in Christ. Maturity's only hope is in Christ. Let's, let's look at these verses from verse 4 on down to, to verse 10. Many trees have died to contain the pages that have been written to explain these verses. We've got a few minutes. We'll see how far we get. Verse 4, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Now, these verses may be some of the most controversial in Scripture. Um, but what do they mean? I say they're controversial because when you say that it's impossible for someone to be restored to repentance, um, it raises lots of questions. And there's generally kind of you know, three categories of opinions about what these verses mean. One set of people look at these verses and say that these verses are talking about someone who was a believer but is no longer. Somebody that at one time experienced salvation but now has lost it. Others look at this passage and say, no, it's not talking about those who once experienced salvation and lost it. It's talking about people who are around the periphery of the church but never had salvation and never will have it. And a third group of people look at these, this, this passage and say that it's, it's talking about those who are believers, who are still believers, but who are in danger of missing something. So which of those three views best fits the passage and the context and the rest of Scripture? I think the third view, that this is talking about believers who are missing out on something, but not salvation is the best view. And, and hopefully, when we unpack it a little bit, um, you'll understand that. If you have one of the, the other views, you're joining many wonderful theologians who trust the Lord and have pursued Him. Um, but I'm going to tell you why I, I believe as I do from this passage. Um, the way that this person is described is described in terms that I think are most appropriate to describe a Christian. Now look at what it says about this person. It's talking about a case of those who have once been enlightened. Um, the idea that somebody has 
have their, their, their minds lit up to the truth of God. Uh, that very same word, enlightened, is used in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, to talk about believers in the process of conversion. Um, it talks about those who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. Now, now that, that set of phrases, this is what people who believe that this is talking about those who have never really ever become a Christian, look at that and they say, no, it's talking about them tasting. It doesn't say they ate salvation. It doesn't say they ate the Spirit. It doesn't say they ate the Word of God. It says that they tasted it. It's the idea that you know, they've had just enough Spirit in their life to kind of swish it around in their mouth. They understand what it tastes like, and then they spit it out to clean their palate. That's, that's generally a perspective, but I think there's a, a very strong reason. This is actually why I have the position that I have about the passage. Very strong reason I have as to why that's not a valid interpretation. Um, again, my opinion, I could be wrong. I'm holding it with an open hand. But here's why I don't think that's valid. Look back at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9 says this. It says, but we see him, Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might, what? Taste death for everyone. What does the word taste mean to the author of the book of Hebrews? Does it mean that Jesus swished death around in his mouth and then spit it out? I don't think so. I think it means that he actually died. The Bible is very clear. If Jesus didn't really die, what hope is there for us of having our sins penalty paid for? And yet right here, it says that Jesus tasted death. Because of that, because Jesus really died, it makes me think that taste does not mean just kind of dealt with it on the externals, but it means that we actually experienced it. And we know from the rest of Scripture that people that actually experienced the indwelling of the Spirit of God, people that actually um, have their, their, their minds recreated in Christ and, and who uh, interact at that level, as, as this passage talks about, uh, are not people that are on the periphery of the faith, but they're people that have actually been redeemed by the Savior. And so this passage, I believe, is talking about believers. Um, now, the, the hard part for us when we get over that hurdle is that we then see that believers can fall away, and that's, that's tough. And when they do fall away, according to this passage, it's impossible to restore them to repentance. And, and that, that's, a, that's a difficult thing. So, so what does it mean if this passage is talking about believers, what do believers fall away from? And, and what that is, is impossible for them as they do? Um, well, well here's, here's what I think is, is generally going on here. Um, what is the only hope for those of us to, to spend eternity with God, to have a relationship with Him? What, what is our only hope? Christ. What is our only hope for seeing our lives transformed to produce spiritual fruit? Christ. Our only hope for anything in the Christian life and anything in eternity is found in Christ. And if somebody, 
after a period of time of being a believer and walking with God, we're ever to walk away from that and say, you know what, um, I've been around a while, but I, this is getting hard. The Hebrew believers at this time were beginning to be persecuted. They, they maybe were a little disillusioned that Christ hadn't returned yet. There was a lot of stuff going on with them. And, and they might have wanted to walk away and say, you know what, this is getting hard. I, I really don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to walk away from this truth because it's getting difficult. If you were their friend and you were to go to them, what would you have to appeal to for their reconciliation apart from Christ? Nothing. That's our whole bag of tricks, and it's no trick. It's the power of God. If somebody is going to reject Christ, what hope is there for them in this life or the next? Now, for the person that has been a believer and then walks away, it's not as though they're leaving their salvation behind. But it does mean what is impossible for them is if they're going to sustain in rejecting this, it's impossible for us to find another way that would lead them to spiritual maturity. It's impossible for us to find another way that would make their life have meaning and purpose and line up with God's will. If somebody walks away from Christ, they are shutting themselves off. It is impossible for them to be restored to God's plan and vision for their life. Because God's plan for them, God's plan for you, God's plan for me is found in Christ. If we walk away from that, there is no other way. Think about what Peter said to to Jesus in chapter 6 of John, 68 and 69, when everybody was walking away but the disciples. Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. If we're to leave you, Jesus, it's impossible for us to live the life that you've called us. There's no other way for us to live except for through you. And if we are to reject you, we are going to cut ourselves off from all that we are. And the same thing holds for us you're a believer here today, the thought may have crossed your mind, you know what, I'd be better off walking away from this stuff. I'd be better off walking away, renouncing this, I'm going to go find a a different wife, a different husband, a different life, I'm going to go spend my money the way I want to, I'm going to go do whatever, I'm going to walk away from all this, enough of it. I tried it for a while, it's it's, it's not working, I'm going to walk away. You have the option of doing that, but when you do, you're cutting yourselves off from the source of your life. You're cutting yourselves off from the source of your maturity. You're cutting yourselves off from your future. This is why he uses this analogy of the field. Look at what he says in this analogy of the field. He says, for the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. We read that and we think only of eternal damnation, but the, the reality is that, that there are other options of burning in Scripture. I look over in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 3, verses 11 to 15. He says, talking about a, a believer standing before the Lord, he says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. 
If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. What that passage indicates for us is that we believers, the, the life that we build on the one foundation of Christ, that which is done in faith, that which is done according to, to God's will and way and power, has the, the prospect of standing on into eternity. Anything else we do will be consumed with fire. Hebrews 6 is just reiterating that point. You want to do something else with your life? Fine, but it'll be gone in an instant. You want to build on the foundation of Christ? You want to move up to maturity on the foundation that is laid in Christ? And you can eat steak that will stay with you forever. He ends the section saying that he has hope of better things for the Hebrews. And you want to know something? I have hope of better things for us. This is a challenging passage. It's a convicting passage. It's convicting for me. But you know what? I have hope for you and for me. And it's, it's not because you're great. And we talked about this last week. You are, you're awesome people. I love you. You're, you're good people. You're my friends. But, but your hope and my hope are the same. Our hope of moving from here to here is found only in Christ. There's no other way. If we want to walk away from him, we want to say, I don't want to trust your word. I don't want to trust you know, your way. I, I've, I've done your way long enough. I'm going to try to do something else. Hey, you have that option, but it'll be consumed in an instant. It'll burn away like wood, hay, and stubble. But if we endure in Christ, we have a hope of something far greater and of a reward that lasts into eternity. What is it in your life? As you look at your life, are, are, you, are you sitting here drinking this? Or are you sitting here drinking this? something wrong if we stay there. In Christ, we can move here. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And prepare to lead us in a closing song. Let me, let me pray as they come. Father, thank you so much for your love for us that does not have us stay where we are that calls us forward. Uh, You don't say to us, stay sweet, don't ever change. You say, move from milk to solid food. And we thank you for that, Father, because you have something better for us than what we have for ourselves. And we pray that you would just equip us and empower us to run there in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Please stand and join us as we